Oh, hey, hi, podcast listeners. This is your blogger, your 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 Althaus. This is your blogger, your podcaster, Anne Althaus, and uh, it is November second, the day before election day. Isn't that exciting? Um, I began my blogging for the day. I'll just start you off where I started off. Melania tells a joke in West Bend, Wisconsin. I don't know if you know this, but I am in Wisconsin. I'm in Madison, Wisconsin, a particular sort of place. Not typical of the rest of Wisconsin, but we we have our Madison, Wisconsin, and we also have West Bend, which isn't as rural as you might think if you look at the video of Melania Trump giving a speech here, there, because it's got this rough-hewn lumber background. She tells a joke. I give you the video. Uh, she says, Joe Biden says he could do a better job leading this nation. Apparently, when you hide in a basement, you feel safe communicating your wishful thinking. I thought that was funny. Oh, it gets a huge laugh. The audience is very uh, receptive to Melania, and she's uh, carefully giving a written speech, uh, seeming largely human, uh, aloof in a uh, kind of military outfit that has two big brass buttons right over the nipples. No, they're not right over the nipples. That's terrible. They're kind of a little high. Who knows? Don't be thinking about the placement of the nipples just because they're big buttons right over the chest, one on either side. You ever see um, Modern Times with Charlie Chaplin? where he uh, kind of goes crazy working in a, an assembly line, in a factory, the idea of the man getting taken up into the machine and quite popular sequence. Maybe I'll put it up on the blog when I put this podcast up. But uh, once he becomes kind of a lunatic, one of the things he does is he's got these uh, two wrenches in either hand that he's going this way and that with because he has to keep tightening the same uh, nuts nuts and bolts with this uh, wrench, and then a woman uh, walks in with the big uh, uh, buttons right over her breasts, uh, and, she's, and he goes up to her with the, uh, like he just, because he's going crazy, sees the buttons as uh, nuts that need to be tightened with his uh, wrench. I don't know if he actually gets right up to her and, and uh, does the wrenching of the nipple-placed buttons, but uh, you know what I'm saying. Buttons and Buttons right popping out at the end of your breasts. Why is that allowed to be done? And yet it's a very buttoned up, uh, thick, tight, uh, enclosed looking uh, jacket that she's got on. Seems quite appropriate. So don't be staring. Don't be staring at the bolts. Don't go crazy with your wrenches in your uh, mind. Losing it. Don't lose it. I think everybody needs to keep their wits about you. You might want to watch Modern Times just to get a sense of uh, how people go crazy under modern circumstances because I'm afraid that's what's going to happen, that people are going to go nuts. Nuts and bolts. Nuts. Think about nuts. We'll be going nuts. Not tonight. And probably not even tomorrow night. We're just going to be easing into it tomorrow night. But the day after tomorrow, well, maybe it'll be such a blowout for Biden that it won't be close enough that there'll be any fighting. Uh, but I kind of think there will be fighting. I think it will be close, and I'm worried about it. But uh, just to continue with this post and not get too far afield, although somebody told me they like when the podcast gets far afield, 
If that's you, drop a note in the post at the blog where you can put some comments, say, yeah, all house, go far afield. That's the whole point. Anytime you can break away from the text and talk about anything, that's what we like. I don't know if that's true, but um, yeah, too much text, too much reading of the text, that can be bad. That's, a, that's like an old uh, preacher doing a long uh, sermon and sticking to the text the way, remember we were just talking about this, Kanye West likes his preachers to do. They have their text, and then they do the sermon off the text. They're always getting back to the text, then they talk about that line, and they get back, do the next line. Not to say these blog posts are on the level of scripture. They're really not. Not at all. In fact, a lot of it is quoting mainstream media and quoting it because it's bad. I often quote text and therefore have to read text here because it's bad. You know, when you're a law professor, you have to sign the cases that are important cases, and they're often written in a terrible way. So I've really spent many, many, many years in talking about text that I don't really respect very much as text, but there will be some text in here today that will be text that I admire, including possibly the text I most admire in all the world and possibly, well, two of the most admired things in the world, as far as I'm concerned, for me. They're in the, the posts this morning. So, uh, but we'll be getting to that. First, I just want to say I love the rough-hewn lumber background behind Melania Trump. It's almost as expressive of Melania's oneness with the place as Lady Gaga's pickup truck. Did you see Lady Gaga's tweet where she's standing in front of a very large black truck? She's dressed in camo with a t-shirt tied up under her breasts with her kind of a little bit bulgy midriff hanging out. And she drinks, um, she pops open a can of beer, drinks a little, and then throws the beer on the ground. People have been talking about that. I say now, Lady Gaga was mocked for that effort at performing American rural culture. Redneck face, we might call it. I think I made up that word, redneck face. Don't you like it? Because it's like blackface, but it's redneck face. And it's funny because neck face how could you have neck face? <laughs> I don't know. Am I the only one amused by that neck face? The idea that one body part could be another body part or that your face could be your neck? It amuses me. Anyway, um, much as that Lady Gaga video, which you can see if you go to the blog, it's embedded, or you probably have already seen it if you're following news at all. And if you're not following news at all, it's funny that you're listening to me because, you know, you're free to do that. You might say, I'm giving up the burden of keeping track of the press. I'm not going to read any of that junk. I'm going to keep my mind pure, except I'm going to leave one window open, just a crack of an opening into the world. And that is I'm going to listen to the Alt House podcast because she's watching things and she's letting through whatever she's choosing to let through and put into words and explain in a podcast. That's enough for me. You know, uh, I, I think that would be uh, maybe a good bet, a better bet than reading mainstream media, which would take a lot more time. And because this is a podcast, hopefully you're out walking around in the beautiful sunshine or in the depths of the night. Be careful. So I said about that Lady Gaga video, 
much as that deserves mockery, perhaps it's so absurd it comes all the way back around to decent respect. The dashing of the nearly full can onto the ground might be the equivalent of a wink. I'm kidding. In other words, I'm not really this person. I start to drink a beer like I am this person, and then I throw it on the ground to say, oh, duh, obviously this isn't me. Uh, right? A lot of people are saying, well, she didn't do a good imitation of that kind of person because they would never throw away beer. They wouldn't, who, throw, who throws a nearly full beer can onto the ground? That's not right. But, but see, in my interpretation, she throws it on the ground to say, I'm just horsing around. I'm not really like this. I'm not genuinely expecting you to think I'm this person with these clothes and this drinking, this approach to drinking and this type of car truck, vehicle, but, you know, I looked it up. The truth is, Lady Gaga really does drive a truck, a 1993 Ford SVT Lightning pickup. Now, the Trump campaign has responded, not on the strange visuals, but on the issue. Quote, and this isn't Trump, it's some spokesperson. Quote, Nothing exposes Biden's disdain. Nothing exposes Biden's disdain for the forgotten working men and women of Pennsylvania like campaigning with anti-fracking activist Lady Gaga. Biden repeatedly promised left-wing activists that he would end fracking, which would be an economic death sentence and financial Armageddon for families in Pennsylvania and across the country. Meanwhile, that's the end of that quote. Meanwhile, we could talk about the clothes Melania wore to West Bend, brass buttoned up and staunchly military, and the choice of the rough wood background in West Bend, which is not a rural outpost. We've seen that rough-hewn wooden statue of Melania, so perhaps the background is as appropriate as Lady Gaga's big truck, because Lady Gaga really has a truck, and there's a little bit of association <laughs> between Melania and rough, rough sawn wood. They put up a statue of her in her hometown in Slovenia, and it was kind of just crudely sculpted out of wood. I think maybe it's the way you take a chainsaw to a stump and make a statue, something like that. Um, and speaking of Lady Gaga's truck, what kind of mileage does that huge thing get? The one in the... Uh, tweet, that big black truck. It's much bigger than the 1993 Ford pickup, which I see only gets 14 miles per gallon in the city. You know, Gaga collects cars. Here's a link to 14 of them. That Rolls Royce Corniche gets nine miles per gallon in the city. How can an anti-fracking activist have cars like that? Is there such a thing as an out-and-proud activist for hypocrisy? Why, you know, you need something to be an activist about. Why not be pro-hypocrisy? You know, it's kind of a minority position. A lot of people think you shouldn't be a hypocrite. Some people say you should be a, uh, a hypocrite. Some people like to quote Walt Whitman on that. Oh, is it Walt Whitman? Walt Whitman. Do I contradict myself? Uh, I contain multitudes. I believe that's Walt Whitman, and good that I mention Walt Whitman because I'm about to mention um, another, the other gr greatest American poet of 
the past, uh, Emily Dickinson. And her name is going to come up in this post about the New York City Marathon. This is a New York Times headline. The New York City Marathon was canceled. Runners ran the course anyway. The 50th New York City Marathon would, would have been Sunday. Some runners still ran the 26.2-mile course despite the cancellation. And by the way, isn't it funny that the New York Times is featuring these people, celebrating them, and thinking, oh, yes, that's New York, the spirit of the people of New York, that kind of an article to raise your spirits, when uh, that seems kind of Trumpian to me, this idea that the lockdown isn't going to hold us back. We're going to go out there and do it anyway. No official marathon. We'll just go out there and run it anyway. Isn't that anti-lockdown? Shouldn't they be deplored? You know, where's the consistency here? Again, the New York Times contains multitudes, apparently. So this um, blog post pulls out a quote from one of the people who ran the course. This person is named Trephine Andrea Wilf, W-I-L-F. Wilf, that sounds like one of those and, uh, uh, acronyms. Trephine Andrea Wilf. She said, it was, it was the exact same feeling. It was amazing. When I came in from Columbus Circle into the park, I just started crying. The exact same emotions. And I said, the human mind is powerful. And I said that because, you know, the regular marathon was called off, but they went out and did it anyway. Um, I have a lot of sort of vague associations with that. Like they tell you you can't do it, and then you just do it in some other way. And because the true meaning of that thing, oh, it is a little bit like in uh, the How the Grinch Stole Christmas. All the presents are gone, but the Who's come out and they sing that uh, Christmas song, and it's because Christmas is really in your heart. You know, there, there are a lot of uh, stories like that. You take the marathon, the official marathon away, and we'll still come out there and run. And for us, we'll say that was the marathon or that was the greatest marathon of all. It was amazing. It was the exact same feeling. You know, maybe something that you love in your life is gone and you can, uh, you can still feel it in the same way because you have it in your, in your mind. The, you know, um, that can be taken too far, imagination land and so on. But it made me think of the Emily Dickinson poem, which is just my favorite poem. I don't think you, you could ever make a better poem than this. It's also very short, so it's easy to memorize and easy to think about what it means because you'll remember the whole thing. You'll just see it in your mind. In one, speaking of powerful human mind, you'll just see it in your mind in one big chunk. So this is to make a prairie. It takes a clover and one bee, one clover and a bee, and reverie. The reverie alone will do if bees are few. So um, you think of a prairie as this big expansive space uh, defined by lots of plants, lots of insects, lots of animal and plant life over a huge expanse. That's the nature of a prairie, that it is so big and expansive and has so much in it. But she's saying just one plant and one animal, she names the specifics, the clover, which has the word lover in it, do you know? And bee, 
and that's the whole thing uh, with this extra quality reverie uh, reverie being the part that comes from inside you that you need only that feeling and that uh, the reverie alone will do if bees are few bees are few you only need one bee and then if bees are few it's kind of like a joke because all I was needing was one bee if bees are few I mean you have one bee even when bees are few so it's uh, odd you just keep walking around no one will hear that <laughs> um why does it say if bees are few it should say if there are no bees but of course bees uh, few rhymes with do but i don't think that do but that's not the point the point is that we're saying the entire thing can be in your mind and there goes the garage door that's another sound that i'm trying to keep off the podcast but the man who i'll talk about later in because the very last post that i put up uh has him in it but so the idea is um to to make a, a clamorous noise it takes one footstep uh if bees are few and bees are few here in madison wisconsin because it got really cold last night it went down to 21 21 but uh i went out did my run uh it was fine it's not cold you don't have to worry about not running when it's 21 degrees out it's perfectly fine wear wear a jacket and don't even wear a warm jacket wear a light jacket though you'll be fine you add 15 degrees to that 21 becomes 31 36 eh, that's fine okay now the next post so uh anyway the mind is a powerful thing um you can run the marathon when there is no marathon you could run the marathon beginning outside your own door set your iPhone or whatever to notify you when you've gone 26.2 miles you could say hey Siri tell me when I've gone 26.2 miles or I would recommend tell me when I've gone 13.1 miles just run out your door when Siri tells you you're 13.1 head back and there's your there's your marathon it's in your head the uh, the marathon is in your head the prairie is in your reverie and that has nothing to do with the election i can't even think of a way to connect that to the election get into these zones i'm trying to help you with it get into these zones where you can flow for a long time without it having anything to do with the election but i'm going to talk about the election now here's a BBC headline I saw this when I yeah I, I usually when I wake up in the morning I reach over to get my iPhone to see what time it is and I usually can't resist checking to see what what some headlines are and I looked over at BBC and I saw this headline I did a screenshot of it right away the headline says Biden and Trump crisscross the U.S. and they're referring to yesterday because the sub the sub headline gives it away mostly well so BBC headlines, Biden and Trump crisscrossed the United States when Biden only went from Delaware to Philadelphia yesterday and Trump flew 3,000 miles and rallied in five states. 3,000 miles. Five rallies in five states. Who does that? I mean, he did more than the most you could think a 
a person could do. And Biden did the utter least. He just went like a little commute from Delaware to Philadelphia. And I said the subheadline mostly concedes the embarrassing truth. President Trump visits five states on Sunday, while his rival Joe Biden campaigns in Pennsylvania. I say mostly because the geographical range of Biden's campaigning is muted by referring to the state, which is rather large, when Biden confines himself to the extreme southeast corner of the place, Philadelphia, which is an easy commute from his home in Wilmington, Delaware. My screenshot is from the front page. The headline at the article is U.S. Election 2020, Biden and Trump hit swing states. And I said, I'm abstaining from the 2020 election. So I'm about as distanced and cruelly neutral an observer as you're going to get. I care about the quality of journalism. And the main thing I do here on this blog is monitor elite media. I found the bias in favor of Joe Biden absolutely disgusting. And I believe Biden is a stalking horse for Kamala Harris, whom the mainstream media hasn't subjected to any serious testing. Stalking horse. Isn't that exactly the right expression? It's literally this. And I have a link to Wikipedia so you can read about the term stalking horse. But I also got a uh, uh, picture, a little, I'm able to embed an image, which is from an old, uh, looks like an etching, and it shows a hunter crouching behind a uh, structure that will look from the other side like a horse. The backside is more rough-hewn lumber, but you can tell from the shape that it's shaped like a horse. And he's a duck hunter. He has a long gun, and he's just waiting for the ducks to get closer, and he's hiding himself. Uh, sort of like a duck blind, but he's just got a, a wooden structure that from the other side looks like a horse. And that's what I'm calling it. So when you say some, something is a stalking horse, so somebody is the hunter who's coming in for the kill, and then what is seen by those who are about to be killed is the, is the image that looks like something that wouldn't kill them. So a horse wouldn't kill ducks and the ducks may get close to the hunter, and then he'll have his shot. So Joe Biden is the relatively inoffensive entity that's being presented to us as if that's what we're going to get. But I believe what they're really going to give us, if Joe Biden wins, is Kamala Harris. So we come in close, we think Joe Biden, we're supposed to think Joe Biden is relatively inoffensive, that he's kind of a moderate, um, that's sort of a way to kind of just uh, be for relatively nothing or for something. I like, I like moderation, something moderate. But really, he's not going to remain president for long. You know, maybe the whole party will turn on him and uh, impeach him for all of that Hunter Biden stuff that they don't want to talk about yet while they're using him as a stalking horse so that Kamala Harris can just be vaulted into the presidency without having been really looked at by us, without having to ever, ever submit to a harsh interview, let alone a uh, difficult debate. I just think we've been uh, cheated out of a real election this time. It's just some crazy farce.
and I myself am keeping my distance so that I can talk about it without your being able to accuse me of taking a side. I like not taking a side. By the way, um, the BBC also had this article, a young Indian couple whose intimate post-wedding photo shoot went viral on social media and attracted vicious trolling have told the BBC that they will not take down the pictures as it would mean giving in to their bullies. And I quoted the bride saying, but many of our relatives accused us of aping the West. Aping, A-P-I-N-G, when you're aping, this is a very common word in crossword puzzles, but uh, aping, I, I'm, why do, that word really ought to become uh, politically incorrect because you're basically saying that whoever is aping is acting like an ape. And, the, and it even uh, is offensive to apes because you're saying that animals just, these apes just copy what they're seeing, that they don't really have any originality of their own. Uh, but I think, uh, so I don't like using apes that way, but I also think that if the use of aping as opposed to mirroring or mimicking or copying, there are a lot of other words you could use. If you say aping, it sounds kind of exciting because uh, we think of the image of an, an ex pretty exciting animal, an ape. But I think uh, in ordinary speech these days, likening a human being to an ape, uh, unless you're talking about white people, uh, is viewed as being race, racist. But this, this is an Indian couple. This whole thing is intra-Indian. Uh, but she says, many of our relatives accused us of aping the West. They phoned us to ask, what was the need for this? They said, have you forgotten our culture? So what were these pictures? Uh, there's no nudity, just a couple acting playfully loving while swathed in big white comforters. Is that aping the West? Does anyone around here, this half of the globe, do wedding photos with giant expanses of comforter? So I question whether they were aping the West, but I guess in the sense of trying to show themselves as um, participating in sex, because if you have comforters, that's suggestive of a bed. And if people aren't wearing clothes, but are wearing comforters, it suggests that underneath their nude, of course, underneath your clothes, you're always nude. But if you've got your comforters around you, it suggests that you've been uh, naked together if not in bed, then outdoors with your comforters. Anyway, uh, I also question whether this was bullying. Did they really get bullying? bullied? Were these people bullies? Maybe they're, you know, they're insulting other people, but what did these other people do? If you put coy posed photographs of yourself up online and people make fun of you, are they bullies? I mean, these people put the photographs up online. They were trying to say, aren't we cool? Aren't we cute? Don't we have fluffy comforters? And if people see it and want to crack jokes at their expense, I think that's perfectly acceptable. I wouldn't call those people bullies. So um, I see that um, Trump said, and this is quoted in an Axios article that is headlined, Scoop, Trump's plan to declare premature victory. And I, I pulled out a quote from Trump before I get to this scoop. 
let me just quote Trump because that's the title of the post. We don't want to have Pennsylvania where you have a political governor, a very partisan guy. We don't want to be in a position where he's allowed every day to watch ballots come in, see if we can only find 10,000 more ballots. So you see what Trump is talking about. He's concerned that as the mail-in votes are counted after election day, well, at that point, you know how many more votes you need. Let's say Trump wins Pennsylvania as the votes are counted on election day, and he's ahead by 10,000. Well, then you know that 10,001 is the number that you need. Here are all the mail-in ballots. You got to find 10,000 plus more for Biden in that pile than you find for Trump. So then go about doing that. Can you make that happen? So Trump is stirring up fear that that'll be done wrong. Uh, but I think there is legitimate fear, isn't there? I remember how it was in the year 2000 when in Florida, when it was known how many votes needed to be found for Gore, for Gore to pull ahead. And um, it led to a lot of mistrust about what was interpreted to be the intent of the voters. Remember looking at these punch card ballots and deciding that, well, any kind of a mark, no detachment of the chads at all could be considered an, a vote. Like if you went in there with your stylus and made a little dent in the thing that you needed to punch all the way through to vote, maybe you started to push and then you decided, no, I don't want to do that. But if we look at the dent, and we say, no, they meant to push that through. They were just so weak and incomplete that all they did was leave a tiny little mark where they touched the stylus. Well, it depends. Is that a vote for the person I want or a vote for the other guy? So there's room to maneuver. And there's a fear that once we, if we don't count those ballots on election day, once we actually, and this is how traditionally cheating and voting was done, I mean, uh, read Robert A. Caro's book about Lyndon Johnson, the second book in the LBJ series, uh, Me Means of Ascent, I think is the name of the second book, uh, how uh, cheating was done in Texas. And it was absolutely unquestionably cheating done to get elected. And LBJ learned how to do it. And it had a lot to do with knowing the number that you needed. Once you know the number you need, that's key to cheating because you know how much you have to cheat. You don't want to over-cheat. You just want to win. So if you're too subtle about it and you under-cheat, then you don't win. You just want to cheat enough to win. So uh, the purported scoop in this Axios, Axios article is uh, uh, the purported scoop, which is not the quote I have in the post title, is attributed to three sources familiar with his private comments. So Trump's plan to declare premature victory, the part I read with, was talking about what was his position about how he was afraid of fraud. But this report that scooped is this idea that he plans to declare premature victory. And this is attributed to three sources familiar with his private comments. If I understand journalese correctly, the sources do not claim to have heard Trump say whatever they say he said. They've just heard about it, whether secondhand or thirdhand or eighthhand or whatever. There's no way to know. I presume Trump's idea is to claim victory whenever it's possible and strategically advantageous. 
That's an utterly mundane thing for Trump to have said. Obviously, people on both sides have to be intensely worried about how the votes will be counted, and they are massively prepared to fight in court and in the political arena. And they are already fighting, such as by planting a scoop like this. The problem for Democrats is well understood. Trump may appear to be ahead on election night because his voters are more likely to vote in person, and Biden will need to build up his numbers after election day as the mail-in vote is counted. So Biden people need to get us to concentrate on the longer time frame in which the numbers dribble in. But Trump will want us to fixate on what happened on election day and to fear that funny business is going on as Democrats look for whatever is the number of votes they will be able to see that they need. That could get ugly. Axios is helping Biden, showing us how to conceptualize the coming struggle. Quote, Trump's team is preparing to falsely claim that the mail-in ballots counted after November 3rd, a legitimate count expected to favor Democrats, are evidence of election fraud. Trump's team is preparing to claim baselessly that if the process changes the outcome in Pennsylvania from the picture on election night, that the Democrats would have stolen the election. Trump's advisors have been laying the groundwork for this strategy for weeks, but this is the first account of Trump explicitly discussing his election night intentions. Close quote. And I said Trump's strategy is quite ordinary, merely politically strategic, as is the effort to portray it as devilish and alarming just doing exactly what you would expect them to do. So one way to stay calm is to realize that it's an important fight and everyone is fighting hard and they're doing what's good for themselves strategically. Uh, They're not necessarily cheating if they're doing that, but they're going to lean as hard as they can to do that. And if they make a legal argument that that favors them and disfavors you, you might think, I don't like that argument. But You don't like it because it doesn't favor your guy. And it will go through a normal process in courts. But it is important that everybody watch and look closely at how this this vote counting is done. And it's good to have the word out there that cheating will be detected and will be noticed. I just don't want there to be any cheating. But but you can see that Axios is kind of acting like uh, assuming there won't be cheating and that any accusation that... there could be cheating or that there was cheating will be baseless and false. I don't know. It better be baseless and false. Well, um, here's a piece called from in the Hill by someone named Steve Krakauer, the anonymous saga, the anonymous saga ended with a dud, a perfect example of the problem of Trump-era media. So you know the story of Anonymous. There was a column run in the New York Times uh, early in the Trump administration uh, from someone who was who the New York Times called a senior Trump administration official, and he ran under the name Anonymous. So the guesses about who he was were, were quite high up, people who had a lot of access to Trump, but it turned out to be this guy, Miles Taylor, deputy chief of staff to the director of Homeland Security. That doesn't really seem that high. So we were led to think that somebody really high was staying in there and observing Trump and had a lot of access. It was not true. And the Times knew who the person was. 
So the Times, the Times uh, deliberately bamboozled us and let that go on for a long time. They misrepresented the level that this guy was on. So what a waste. Uh, let me read a little from this Hill column. And then this week, we got the big reveal. Anonymous was Miles Taylor, a name that is likely literally anonymous to you to begin with. At the time, he wrote the original column. Taylor was the deputy chief of staff to the director of Homeland Security. Hardly a senior Trump administration official. That description by the New York Times was the first major media misstep in all of this. If Taylor published the column under his own name and title, it wouldn't pack nearly the punch it did the way it was shrouded in mystery and secrecy. The only reason the Times would play this game was to deceive its readers and the entire media world into thinking the author was someone of far more prominence than Mr. Anonymous, Miles Taylor. The media spun a tale of top administration official working for Trump, going public through the New York Times that turned out to be yet another massive letdown. The American public has seen the extreme lengths to which the press has gone, abandoning its principles in the service of its perceived existential fight with the guy in the White House. Now this weird WAPO headline caught my eye. Kamala Harris knows things no vice president has ever known. And I said, I have not read this piece yet. I'm just trying to observe my understanding as it dawns on me. My first thought was, what kind of fawning bullshit is this? I was just complaining that the mainstream media hasn't subjected Kamala Harris to any serious testing. And now here's this ludicrous headline ascribing special powers of knowing to her. I see it's in the style pages, which is what we have in the newspaper today instead of what used to be called the women's pages. So now I'm thinking of the old concept, women's ways of knowing. Have you heard of these five ways of knowing? Something about, and this is a quote from the Wikipedia article, Women's Ways of Knowing, which was a book some decades ago. Something about women's cognitive development dependent on conceptions of self, relationship with others, and understanding the origins and identity of authority, truth, knowledge, truth and knowledge, mind, whatever. And I said, is, is that what this WAPO thing is on to? Harris knows things no vice president has ever known because no vice president has ever been a woman? and maybe extend that to no vice president has ever been black. This piece is by Monica Hess, or Hesse, uh, and I'm quoting from it now. I keep thinking about how, at some point in Kamala Harris's life, she has painstakingly reviewed her office wardrobe with the understanding that the difference between slut and feminazi is a few inches of worsted wool hemline. At some point, she has approached a stranger in a public bathroom because the Tampax machine is broken again. And she has said, I'm sorry, but do you have? And then she didn't have to finish the question because women in bathrooms know there is only one end to that question. And I said, you know, 
I went through my, I went, went through an entire life's worth of menstruating and never once asked a stranger in a public bathroom for a tam, tampon. In fact, I don't know if I ever even used a Tampax machine in the bathroom, and I certainly never encountered a, a broken one. This idea that we're always needing Tampax in the machine is always, but we don't bring, we don't carry our own in our handbag, which is what I would always do. Didn't you, if you're female? You know, rely on the machine. You're going to just get the crummy old Tampax out of the machine. And then you're going to, uh, if it's broken, you have to go beg for one from a stranger. That's like the necessary <laughs> experience of the woman. <laughs> that never happened to me. Um, nor did I ever even consider whether clothes I wore to the office needed to get between slut and feminazi. I don't even know now which one is shorter, but why would it matter since neither message is office appropriate? Wouldn't you just be picking your length and deciding how much you cared about being appropriate? Now, looking at it now, now I'm talking uh, ad lib, uh, I, I guess feminazi would be a really long skirt. I, why would you say feminazi, slut and feminazi? What would be the clothing of a feminazi? I don't even know. Would it even be a skirt? And would it be worsted wool? Um, I think uh, longer skirts, like below the knee skirts, could be worn by very conservative women or all sorts of women or just women who like the style of a uh, maxi skirt. As for a mini skirt, uh, it doesn't necessarily look slutty. Is it really that hard to figure out, to look in the mirror and, and think of how you look? Is it really so painstaking? How much do you even care? And doesn't Kamala Harris mostly wear pants anyway? then you don't have to worry about your hem if you do that. Me, I grew up in a time when miniskirts first came into fashion. And I remember my eighth grade teacher saying something like, I wonder what girl in the school will be the first one to wear a miniskirt. He was probably a dirty old man maybe, but uh, I really heard that as a challenge. And it's sort of like, who will be first? I reacted to that like, me, I'll be first. And so, you know, I wore miniskirts uh, back in 1964 when uh, I wanted to be first, you could make a mini skirt out of any skirt by um, cutting off the skirt and uh, getting your iron out and turning the hem up and uh, sewing, a little sewing. It was a little sewing project. You could have all mini skirts. Uh, and I can remember taking up the hem and then uh, later taking up the hem some more because once you start wearing mini skirts, what seemed daringly short at first then seemed frumpily long and you had to turn it up again. So. I had skirts that I'd rehemmed quite a number of times, but it, and and of course I did have to think about whether I would get in trouble. And I did get sent to the vice principal's office uh, quite a few times for my skirts, and uh, I could I've told my story about that quite a few times. But um, but uh, so I did have that experience. It wasn't mostly worsted wool. It was more likely to be cotton. Wanted well, to wear cotton clothes. Uh, so anyway, mini skirts, one might worry about how, how to, um, how short to wear your skirt, but is this an important way of knowing that I, I could, I could care about when thinking about who should be vice president? Oh, it's important that she'll know something. She'll be vice president and know that you might have to worry about whether your, your skirt was, uh, short or whether another person would perceive your skirt as short. Um, why was this worth writing a Washington Post column about? I'm not buying 
Hess's portrayal of the necessary experience of a woman, but in any case, who cares whether vice presidents know these things? And didn't Hess already go through this collection of thoughts when she contemplated a first woman president four years ago? Quote, there's something profoundly moving about the fact that Kamala Harris has walked through the world as a woman, that she has thought, talked, purchased, exercised, sought medical care, sought justice, laughed, and bitten her tongue as a woman, close quote. And I said, oh, I'm profoundly moved. I'll tell you that, profoundly moved to scoff at this sententiousness. And I won't bite my tongue as a woman, bite my womanly, tongue, my womanly woman's tongue as a woman at the anger I feel that a Washington Post column is frittered away on generic woman's material when this person, Kamala Harris, is on the verge of becoming not merely vice president, but president, and she's not been seriously questioned and raked over the coals like a real candidate. We, the people, are treated like morons. Some of us treated like morons people are happy enough with their predicament because they are not openly called deplorables like those treated like morons people on the other side. Click on the comments over there if you'd like to listen to these happy folk burble. And I just uh, quoted one of the comments over there. Magnificent piece on so many levels, Ms. Hess. I'll be sharing this far and wide. Thank you. And then I added on a less political note. I did burble like chortle and galump originate in the 1871 Lewis Carroll poem, Jabberwocky? And as in uffish thought he stood, the Jabberwock with eyes of flame came whiffling through the tolgy wood and burbled as it came. One, two, one, two, and through and through, the vorpal blade went snicker-snack. He left it dead, and with its head he went galumping back. And hast thou slain the Jabberwock? Come to my arms, my beamish boy. O oh, frabjous day, kaloo, kalay, he chortled in his joy. The Oxford English Dictionary tells us that burble was an English word going all the way back to circa 1300. But it only meant bubble or gurgle. Carol got a new meaning started, to speak murmurously. What a great word, burble, speaking murmur, murmurously and um, galumphing and chortled, which you also heard in those paragraphs I read, for your amusement. Uh, chortled and galumphing were both invented for Jabberwocky. There's some other, quite a few other words in, um, in Jabberwocky. Frabjous, even, even in that. Whiffling, tolgy, uffish, beamish. Beamish, he's beaming. So he's beamish. Oh, frabjous day. Kalu Kalei. Maybe we'll be saying that tomorrow morning. I mean, uh, the day after tomorrow. Two podcasts from now. Maybe I'll be saying Kalu Kalei. But will I be saying Kalu Kalei if Trump is elected or if Biden is elected? You don't know. I'm planning to be reasonably unhappy and happy, whichever happens. As long as people don't go out in the street and start rioting and behaving badly. Keep calm. Keep your wits about you people. That's what I'm asking for.
Oh, here's a tweet by Matthew Iglesias. I see Matthew Iglesias is doing a sunrise picture, but it's for politics, not apparently for any love of nature. And he has a picture that he took of the sunrise. Seems to be over some kind of, not that interesting scenery. Maybe it was just from his uh, window. And uh, the sun is actually quite far up in the sky. It's not what I would call sunrise, but he quotes, I have the happiness to know that it is a rising and not a setting sun. And I said, I've got two poetry posts this morning. As you know, I had the Jabberwocky poem that I just read to you, and I had the uh, To Make a Prairie poem, the Emily Dickinson poem, two poems I like a lot. And so I thought, man, is this another poem? This is great. The blog has a theme today. Love when that happens. So I thought uh, Iglesias' quote might be another poem. Maya Angelou, perhaps? But no, it's Benjamin Franklin. And I, I looked up a historical site, so this is a quote from that. On the last day of the Constitutional Convention in Philadelphia, Benjamin Franklin observed that he'd often wondered whether the design on the president's chair depicted a rising sun or a setting sun. Now, at length, he remarked, I had the happiness to know that it is a rising and not a setting sun. And I said, it's okay to use nature metaphors in politics. Reagan had his morning in America. It's nice to see the optimism, even though I assume Iglesias's optimism is an expression of the belief that Biden will win. If Trump wins, it will be, I had the transitory glimmer of happiness believing I was looking upon a rising sun, but no, no. It was a setting sun, and darkness has fallen upon us once again. Ah, whatever. Here's the sunrise I saw this morning, witnessed and loved purely as a sunrise, and not any sort of metaphor. And if you go there, you'll see my sunrise, and by there I mean my blog. Now, the next post is from the London Times by Claire Voges, or Fogues, F-O-G-E-S, and the column is titled, Hate Crime Law is an Attack on Our Liberties. Scottish Minister's Plan to Criminalize Offensive Remarks Made in Private Homes is a Foolish Way to Promote Tolerance. And so here's a quote from that column in the London Times. Fifty years ago in Guzhen, China, a 15-year-old red guard called Zhang Hongbing heard his mother denounce Chairman Mao. Drilled in loyalty to the great leader, the boy told the authorities. Days later, she was executed by a firing squad. Zhang remains distraught. I killed my mother. I'm tormented by this. A tragedy so far from our experience. State spies in the home, blood betrayed for the regime, and yet, extraordinarily, we may ourselves be heading to a future in which children could snitch on their parents for expressing the wrong opinions. Last week, Hamza Yosaf, the Scottish Justice Secretary, talked about changes he wished to make to hate crime legislation. The Hate Crime in Public Order bill will introduce an offense of stirring up hatred against people with protected characteristics, including disability, age, and sexual orientation. Yusuf believes that the law should, not, should apply not only in public places, but in private dwellings. 
an Englishman's home is his castle. A Scotsman's home may soon be a sieve with forbidden conversations leaking out to the Rosers. Um, Rosers, I learned a new word there. Rosers means is British slang for cops. And uh, Foges, or Fogues, goes on to imagine a scene in the future where a fervently progressive new son-in-law comes to comes over to spend his first Christmas day with the family only to be appalled by batty Aunt Doris with her tutting about colored people and her wondering aloud whether long hair on a young man automatically signifies he's gay these days. So imagine that. Imagine turning in people for saying things around the house. The next post, the second to the last post that I have for you today, is from a column in Vox by Theodore Schleifer. Joe Biden has finally disclosed who is raising him big money just days before Election Day. Biden only released the names after 90 million people have already voted. Quote, it makes strategic sense that the Biden campaign would not draw attention to the bundlers who have helped him turn a lagging fundraising operation into a surprising powerhouse. Biden has worked to position himself as the candidate with the interest of the working and middle classes in mind, giving himself the nickname Middle Class Joe and casting the general election as a campaign between Scranton and Park Avenue. The Biden campaign has tried to draw focus to its small-dollar online fundraising operation rather than the celebrities, Silicon Valley billionaires, and Wall Street executives. That's an especially important task for Biden, given that many of these characters are prone to draw the scorn of the left, which is already skeptical of Biden and wants to see big campaign contributions contributors pay, play a smaller role in politics. So this transparency, well, everybody was encouraged to vote early, and what is it, 90 million people have already voted? Oh, but now here's some information you might want to take into account. Can I change my vote? Uh, I've heard this in people that want to change their vote. No, you're not changing your vote. We're not doing that. We're not fishing your vote out. Think before you vote. And then stop thinking. Or think of things you can do better in the future. The past is the past. Go on. Do better things. Well, here's the last post. This is about something that's been going on around here. Me, I don't answer the phone if I don't recognize the number. But my husband is answering calls now in the hope that it's a Biden phone bank person. I thought it was quite something that he talked to a phone bank woman for 21 minutes yesterday and then just now, he talked to a different phone bank woman for 42 minutes, only ending the call when she said she had to go. I wonder what people are... I, I haven't approved comments in, in that category uh, yet. Uh, so, but maybe people are saying, oh, your husband is talking to women. <laughs> but I'm in the room, I hear, I hear what he's saying. And uh, he engages them in conversation about Joe Biden. He likes to talk about how disappointed he was by the way feminists stuck with Bill Clinton uh, when the sexual harassment charges against him were made, how they put their party above feminism. And he talks about 
Tara Reid and urges them to watch the 60 Minutes interview that aired. I think it only aired in Australia, but you can watch it online. He was very affected by Tara Reid's telling her story of being digitally raped by Joe Biden. Um, and he raises a lot of questions like that and debates with, debates with them and tells them things they ought to read and asks them about themselves. Because, you know, who are they? They have his phone number. They call him up. Uh, they want to try to affect his mind. Well, you ever think about it, you can affect their mind too. I don't think he's just trying to waste their time. You could say, well, you could just keep them on the phone, and if they have to talk to you, they don't, they don't have time to talk to someone else. I don't get the feeling he's doing that, but, you know, that's a way of just being a troll. Well, they're bothering you. They're intruding on you. So why don't you just uh, keep them on the phone until they can't stand it anymore? But I don't. But that isn't what he's doing. He actually has a friendly conversation. He seems to be able to become interested in anybody and to ask them questions about themselves. I would, you know, a stranger calls you up and you ask them where they were born, where they went to school, how old they are, if they have children, and he keeps calling them by their name. You know, uh, that. That's one way you can encounter a lot of people. Maybe, uh, maybe people love that, actually. I've heard, uh, I think that that's the idea of how to win friends and influence people, isn't it? Uh, or, or is that the power of positive thinking? Anyway, this idea that people love to talk about themselves, ask them about themselves, but these people are just trying to get some votes for Biden, and they need to make a lot of calls. Do they ever change anyone's mind? Do they ever? I think they more want to just... Uh, get people who are already for the candidate they're pushing to get out there and vote, get the vote in, make sure the vote goes through, how important it is that you vote, but to actually try to talk the person into voting for their candidate. Uh, maybe maybe they end up just getting their, their time wasted, but uh, it would be funny if the phone bank person was flipped not to vote against, uh, not to vote for the candidate they called to push. Anyway, are you answering any stray phone calls today? Are you having your last uh, full day of the campaign to, to what? To try to influence people? To try to urge people to vote? To try to urge people to abstain like Ann Altas? Or maybe you're noticing it's a, it's a beautiful day, a little cold. There's still some colorful leaves clinging to some of the trees out here in the Midwest. There are lots of things you can do today. Maybe you're getting in Air Force One and flying from state to state and doing even how many, five, six, how many states, how many rallies can you do in one day? I'm, I'm just, I'm acting like Donald Trump is listening to the Alt House podcast, but whatever you're doing, whoever you are, whatever you're doing, there you are. You're listening to the podcast right now, but 